Happy New Year, everyone. We are going to make sure that 2023 is your best year yet. How exactly are we going to accomplish that? Well, we're going to expand the Restaurant Strategy Podcast. Guess what? Starting this week, we're moving to two episodes, two new episodes each and every week. Every Monday, you're going to get an interview, and then on Thursdays, you're going to get the monologue-style format. I promise you it's going to be good. We've got tons of great stuff planned, tons of great interviews coming up. And guess what? Thursday is our 200th episode. But this is episode 199. Don't go anywhere. We're talking beverage and branding with Rob Day. There's an old saying that goes something like this. You'll only find three kinds of people in the world. Those who see, those who will never see, and those who can see when shown. This is Restaurant Strategy, a podcast with answers for anyone who's looking. My name is Chip Close, and this is Restaurant Strategy, a weekly podcast dedicated entirely to the hospitality industry. We cover marketing operations and just about everything in between. Each week, I leverage my 20-plus years in the industry to help you build a more profitable and a more sustainable business. I also work directly with operators and owners all over the world through my group coaching programs to address and overcome the specific challenges we face in our industry. Curious to learn more? Set up a free strategy session by visiting restaurantstrategypodcast.com slash schedule. Let me show you how simple it can be to run a profitable restaurant. Again, restaurantstrategypodcast.com slash schedule. As always, you will find that link in the show notes. Now, thousands of restaurants across the country use KickFin to send instant cashless tip payouts directly to their employees' bank accounts the second their shift ends. It's a really simple solution to a really big problem. Because let's face it, paying out cash tips to your workers day after day, shift after shift, is kind of a nightmare. Tedious tip distribution takes managers away from work that matters. It's hard to track payments, which leads to accounting and compliance headaches. Plus, cash tip-outs create the perfect opportunity for theft, and there's never enough cash on hand to pay out those tips. So, managers are constantly having to make bank runs. Bottom line, there's never been a secure, efficient way to tip out until now. Meet Kickfin. KickFin is an easy-to-use software that sends real-time cashless tip payouts straight to your employees' bank accounts 24-7, 365 days a year. Tipping out with KickFin gives managers and operators hours back in their day. It makes reporting a breeze and protects your business from mistakes and theft. And employees love it, so it's one of the best recruiting tools out there. Best of all, restaurants can have KickFin up and running overnight. Employees can enroll in seconds, no hardware, no contracts, no setup fees. Get in touch today for a personalized demo and see how restaurants and bars across the country are tipping out with KickFin. Visit kickfin.com slash demo. That link is also in the show notes. So my guest on today's show is Rob Day. He's the vice president of marketing for Jack's Abbey Craft Loggers. Uh, I wanted to do more in beverage uh, this year. I promised you guys I was going to, uh, and we are uh, we are slowly uh, getting to that. Today we're going to talk all things beverage, specifically beer, but I think Rob is in a unique position to talk about all things beverage, uh, specifically the relationship uh, that we as restaurant owners and operators have with the different distributors, the different partners, uh, and, and what may or may not be available available to us and the best way to use beverage to help leverage uh, all of our all of our marketing and how they can really be a true partner. Um, he's got a really interesting perspective. I'm thrilled to have him on the show. Rob, welcome. Well, Chip, I am thrilled to be here. Been listening for quite some time now. And a few months ago, you mentioned you wanted to dig into beverage deeper and red light went off. Uh, I think I could actually contribute here rather than just listening. So it's exciting to be here and and hope I can offer your listeners something of value today. Yeah, I'm sure you can. It really is true. Like I've, I've had some people on the beverage side on the show 
over the course of the nearly four years that I've been doing this. Um, but when I look over, it's it's woefully less than we talk about marketing and sort of other operational pieces. And so I did. I made a promise to the listeners that we would change that and we would do more. And I still haven't done enough, but um, uh, I'm excited <laughs> that we're doing that we're doing more than we have. So. Um, Talk to me, uh, like, give some context to the listeners. You know, what's Jack's Abbey? Uh, wh- what is the brand? Where are you guys located? And what do you specifically do for them? And we'll use that as a, a jumping off point for a, a much broader conversation. Great. I mean, that's a pretty broad question to, to start already. But our uh, our job here is uh, we're craft brewers making 100% lagers. And that gives us sort of a unique position. And I know as we dig in, being a listener, having uh, some differentiation is key to uh, your customers and what we do. So that is that is what we do every day. We're an 11-year-old brewery located just outside of Boston, Massachusetts. Been at this uh, longer than most. That's ancient in craft beer terms. Uh, 11 years old doesn't sound For old, sure. um, but I think you know most restaurants know that three to five year shelf life, it's pretty similar in craft beer. Uh, the explosion has been wonderful and interesting to follow over arguably 38, 40 years, and we're happy to be a part of that. Uh, Part of our unique perspective coming to this, we do operate a very large-scale hospitality operation within the brewery. So there's about a 400-seat indoor beer hall and outdoor beer garden as part of our business model. Whoa, big. So I'm not only overseeing the distribution side that touches all the other people listening to this, I also oversee marketing of a full large-scale hospitality operation. So I think that gives me uh, a good perspective to be able to say I could try things in my own little test kitchen and bring them out to the world and vice versa. Yeah, I think that's uh, I think it's so much of um, the benefit of having guests on this show is the interesting perspective they bring to the table. And uh, you have one that I don't think any of my guests have, which is that you work um, you understand the hospitality side because you do that um, in you know within your four walls, uh, but then your brand intersects with other uh, operators, other owners, other sort of hospitality ventures, which gives you a unique perspective um, behind the scenes at their operations. So, talk to me about how uh, do you come from sort of the the straight marketing side of things, or do you come from the restaurant side of things? How did you get to where you're at now? Uh- both a little bit. I grew up working in restaurants, uh, first busser job at 15 years old and cranking on tables for a few years the hard way and moved up to food runner, moved up to waiter through college, did that while studying marketing, came out and uh, I always wanted to work in craft beer and sort of this really personal touch point marketing. I couldn't find my footing right out of college and took a very corporate job. Did not care for that. Uh, did that for uh, a full year before one of uh, that recession of 2008 kicked in. So that kind of threw me out on my butt as they closed the office here and booted everybody here in Boston. I found another marketing job in product development for juvenile products. Couldn't be further away from hospitality than yeah. <laughs> designing and developing things. For I wasn't a parent. I'm still not a parent at this time. But designing products, it really honed my skills of trying to get inside of customers' head that I am not personally that person and say, okay, what is this person looking for? How do I do better? Did that for about three years, moved over to an outdoor grilling company developing and doing all the marketing, not just development, but communications for them. It was a smaller startup. Having done all of that, my goal throughout those years was always to cross over to craft beer. I had fallen in love with craft beer in late college. Actually, my older brother introduced me to uh, Sam Adams, Sierra Nevada, Stone, some of the real originals. And it just changed my entire perspective of what beer could be being a typical West Coast college drinker, high life and Miller Genuine Draft were, were all I could afford. Sure. So uh, that's what I drank. And then I'm in, I'm seeing these new flavors and, and what this category could be. And they just weren't marketing jobs in craft beer in 2007. They didn't exist. So 
bided my time, met with industry leaders. I took some grunt jobs out doing tastings and some of those interesting, you go to the grocery store and someone's there, can you pour, can I pour you a sample? Can I pour you a sample? That was me. Uh, some a yeah. senior director of marketing, developing product overseas on my day job and pouring drinks at night at a market basket. So it's uh, it was an interesting way to kind of learn the lingo, get myself prepared for when that opportunity presented itself with a brewery to cross over. I first did that with uh, a brewery up here in the Northeast called Lord Hobo. They had a position called Director of New Markets. And my job is literally to fly around the country researching all the new markets that we could open up for distribution, planning what a rollout would be, executing the rollout, and then setting a plan for success going forward while moving on to the next one. That really cut my teeth pretty quickly in how the beverage supplier side meets the restaurant real world side. Uh, eventually crossed over from there to be the vice president of marketing here at Jack's Abbey, overseeing both the hospitality and the distribution side, giving me uh, a bit wider of a perspective like we talked about at the beginning. I've been at that a little over three years now. Yeah, listen, I love it. And um, again, when we talk about beverage, beverage has, and, and I'll, I'll, sort of, um, I'll sort of let the audience in on uh, the conversations that we had had before we even uh, you know, got on the air here before we hit record, which is that um, I want to talk about beverage and the role it plays um, from an operational standpoint mm-hmm. in its ability, especially as uh, food prices are going up and up and up. Um, beverage uh, offers a very real opportunity um, to uh, to keep your cogs in line because you can cover up some uh, some sins. Yes, because uh, your your beverage cost is typically much much better than uh, your food cost ever can be. So I want to talk about that, and I want to I want to understand that, and certainly what you do sort of intersects with that. Um, but then uh, beyond, I really want to pull on your expertise here, which is to have a conversation uh, with you, with this audience, about how beverage um, can play a really key role in uh, in really helping to market um, market a restaurant, and how uh, and how your beverage choices um, really can be a, a differentiator um, within your market, especially especially in something like uh, in something like beer, and especially now as we get into craft beer, right? Like mm-hmm. um, it's either your you know your craft you know your craft beer bar, or you're not. <laughs> <laughs> and there's even all kinds of levels within the, within the craft world of, For sure. of all of that. And so I think, again, I think you got a really unique perspective here. Um, let's talk about those two things. So I, I want to tackle the operational side. I want to talk about the uh, marketing side as well. Mm-hmm. But I'm going to let you choose. Where, where do, where's the best place to dive in to start that conversation? Let's let's go operational first. Uh, you know, I wrote down my notes. I've got, I know that this audience likes checklists and actionable items. So I'm ready to go. Yeah, listen, we we do have to we do have to keep it actionable. So, <laughs> so talk to me about how um, you know every every business is built differently. Um, beverage is going to make up some meaningful mm-hmm. percentage of your uh, of your monthly revenue, um, and it's going to and it's going to really help, especially when we talk about beer, spirits, wine. Uh, it's going to really help with your with your costing. How do you think about that uh, on the operational side of things? How that how that mix should go, and how it can cover some of the other sins, especially as as food prices are rising. Sure, and I think it's important for everyone to think about the beverage program the same way you think about your food program, your concept, your design. It should be intentional. Uh, it should relate to the concept you're creating. That's how you build some loyalty among the program. But it also gives you the the opportunity to be more directed in what you put on your draft lines, what you put in your can selection. So typically, if I'm advising someone on setting up a beverage program for the first time, or perhaps they're looking at their beverage program and saying, I don't know what to do with this, I've made a mess of it, I always step back to the beginning. What are you trying to create? Who are you trying to talk to? What can make this different because you go to so many places where they just feel like they have to have the same draft list, the same bottle list, the same can list, and you don't. You absolutely right. do not. In fact, it's probably a detriment because this is an opportunity to stand out. If you have three tap lines on, I could design a tap line program with three beers. We can do that. Uh, if you have 48 and you want to have variety, we can design for that. It starts with knowing who you want to be and who you're speaking to in your audience. Once we've done that, you can do a lot of great things on the operations side. Now we'll start just in general, uh, depending on what market you're in, it's not uncommon to get a keg of beer, a half barrel for 165 bucks. That's a very 
good level of craft beer. They go up from there. They can go down from there. It's like a dollar fifty a pint. When you think about that, and a lot of markets we're pouring in, these beers can command eight, nine, ten dollars a pint. So you're talking easily 67, 85% margin. We talk about covering up sins of, of food costs and some of the rising there. You got yeah, a lot yeah. of flexibility once you're doing that. So being able to get a beverage program that is pouring at the pace that you want, moving volume through that, I obviously you can't decide it. Every type of business will be different, whether it's 30% of your sales, 40, 50, 70% in some cases, uh, whatever you're trying to right. design for, I think that's unique to each place and goes back to who do you want to be. But when you hear about those margins and what you can manage with beverage, it starts to be a lot more appealing to put the same focus on this program as you would your food program, your design, anything else you're doing. And that's just on the top line. Of course, it can go a lot deeper from there. Yeah, for sure. I think that's so uh, that's such a great place to start. Um, I want to back up just a little bit, right? You got three lines, you got 48 lines, whatever that is. How, talk to me about how to build the relationships with the different distributors because mm -hmm. um, there is pressure. And I know I've talked to a lot of operators who are feeling this, especially now. There's pressure uh, that they feel from the distributors to carry certain things or to, you know, to, to build their program in a certain way. So how do we flip that relationship and get it so the, the reps are working for us? The reps are helping us put together the program that we envision. Mm -hmm. Does that make sense? It, it does, and I have this in my notes because I can speak from behind enemy lines. Um, we shouldn't be enemies. We're supposed to be there as proper salespeople to facilitate your program, not the other way around. Yeah. So if you're feeling pressure from your reps, I would push back heavily on that, if not ask them to, to not come back. This is not about pressure. Uh, our reps don't do that. We're not looking to push programs. We're supposed to be a facilitator. So once you've defined what you're about, it makes that next step of the relationship easier. Who's servicing that relationship? Who's bringing the product and the pricing to you that builds your program, that helps make you successful? Who's coming in your door and saying, okay, you've been a, a loyal customer. Here's some other support I can offer. Events, uh, glassware, other promotional materials. I'm wearing multiple branded pieces today. We. We are an active group, especially at the craft level um, in our local markets. We have feet on the street for this. If you're in a beverage program and you've said, I have 12 taps and half of them are going to be local and a distributor with imports is pushing you to make 80% of them imports, that person's not servicing your business. They're, they're not there to help you. They're there to hit a goal and check a box. Yeah, and I think that's where it really starts. Yeah, and I and I think you and I think you said it right, which is that you have to be really intentional about the kind of thing you're gonna uh, you're gonna have about the, the kind of program you're gonna develop. And I find that too often operators, uh, it, it ends up being an afterthought. It ends up right. We put real uh, thought into a wine program, maybe, or real thought into mm -hmm. even a cocktail program. Now, I mean, cocktails have exploded over the last 10, 15 years. Um, and I think the same sort of intentionality uh, can be had with, with beer as well. Um, the things and we're, we're talking about beer because you obviously come from the from the beer world um, but that same sort of intentionality and that same those same relationships exist with spirits with wine with uh, beer with even your uh, even soft drinks even mm -hmm. those sort of uh, programs it's really interesting to see how that thing is coming along and I think it begins by saying hey what do we want this to be Great. So if this is what we want it to be, then what's going to get us there? What what sort of mix will give us a program that looks yep. looks like that? And, and I can't stress it enough. So is there so the sales reps getting pushy? Just uh, I mean, what you said, just drop them, just go find somebody else. Uh, if you don't need them. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it, it can be that blunt. I, I mean, if you're on the restaurant side day in, day out on a Tuesday, how many people are, are coming in to sell you something? Is it like there's a dozen every day and we know that's it. right and what what we try to do again the ideal rep is out there to service the program you want to create so if someone is pushing you in a direction you don't feel comfortable uh absolutely say listen this is you're not for me moving on and there is there's obviously benefits and challenges to consolidating your distributor rep activity 
if you put more of your business into a single distributor, you might be able to have cost savings and efficiencies of running your business. Uh, you know, you don't need to have something from everybody, but that allows you the flexibility that if a distributor or rep becomes unreliable down the road, there's other options for you. But I always say, you know, each brand or distributor, depending on your market, there's programs for pricing as well. Uh, keg accumulations, quantity discounts, be asking about those. So when you organize the program, you can be more intentional around that. There's there's benefits to having continuous product on just on the cost side. That 165 I told you about could drop 10, 15, $20 a keg, which is significant when you're moving uh, a good volume and you're checking your margins. So being as careful with those relationships and not letting sort of the next whim and strongest voice who walks in your door on a Tuesday control your program, no one should do that for you. Yeah, You should yeah. do that and then find the people who service it. Yeah, and I think this is where operators have more leverage than they think, and it's easy. Um, it's easy to feel like we're not. It's easy to feel overwhelmed uh, because we are being sold to by a bunch of people. But mm -hmm. understand, it's a. It's <laughs> it really is a a buyer's market. Um, that, like you said, there's a dozen there's a dozen reps walking in your door every every mm -hmm. Tuesday afternoon, and um, you do have other spots where we don't have the leverage. And I think it's really important to point out the areas in which we do have the leverage Absolutely. and so that we can get them the most bang for our buck. Like you said, uh, there are benefits to, to consolidating your order with one group because you get, uh, you've got more purchasing power, all of that. But by diversifying, um, you then get more leverage because you can put one against the, you can put one against the other. And that's true. Um, I say the same thing uh, with people with uh, food vendors as well. You know, you, you should see what the different uh, pricing options are. And so you can get the best price every single week. Yeah, without a doubt. And again, this, you have a national audience, I know that. So the, the, these pricing benefits and some of those details are different state to state. It's one of the crazy things about alcohol versus you know, other programs. Every state has different laws for what's possible. In some cases, the distributor can bundle all of their brands and say, if you buy this many from us, you get the, the, this discount versus other states are supplier by supplier. So you know, here in this market, it's how much Jack Savvy do you buy? For example, you can buy multiple brands from us, but that's where the discounts are. So make sure to become aware of what the laws are in your individual market. I know many of them, but not all of them. They're very tricky. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Um, I want to go back to something you mentioned a, a few minutes ago, if we can. You talked about uh, sort of promotional support from the brands yes. that you work with. From the oh, Talk to me about that, because this is something um, that I became aware of 10 or 12 years ago, um, <laughs> just living and working in New York City and, and all of that. And it's dawned on me over the last, I'll say, three or four years, um, just uh, that, that this is something that a lot of um, owners and operators out there don't know. So talk to talk to the audience about what you were talking about. Man, this is a big one. So especially as a local player, I probably have the most in-depth uh, action experience within my market. And everyone out there has breweries, distilleries, wineries, people like me that can do all of this same type of activity. 90% of the time, people don't ask, like you just mentioned. They, they don't think it's available. They don't believe it's a thing. It is. We are absolutely partners in this type of business on the supplier side. And our goal is to help make those bars and restaurants successful. There's lots of ways we can do that. We tend to go uh, through a whole litany, uh, all at scale. Obviously, if, if you're not buying much beer, I can only do so much. There's a, you know, sort of a scale that we have to attain. But a few things we can do right out of the gate is uh, coming into your business, new line, you bring in on a new supplier, talk about glassware to start. It's a very basic thing. Uh, promotional glassware in most markets, I don't think it's legal in California. They have a dollar cap on value. But in most markets, promotional glassware is uh, completely legitimate. So you get a keg of beer, you get the tap handle set, set a glassware to promote the beer. And if it's done right, that's that's a really cool product to be passing around. You know, we take I take a lot of pride in some of the glassware design. We try to refresh it quarterly. So we get different things. You can see from my background, I've got lots of personal glassware, um, you know, kind of yeah. a, a fun thing for me being a little bit German inspired. For instance, we have one liter and half liter steins. That's unique. So if you're pouring a business, a half liter is close to a pint. It's, you know, within striking distance. But being able to serve a beer in a branded 
stein is just more impactful for the waiter to be walking out with that stein on a tray and someone say, oh, what, what's that? That's a major way we can be useful. If you're putting a new product on, you want to give it a fighting chance. We also design and produce table tents, posters, depending on your establishment, uh, banners. A lot of sports bars want, uh, you know, calendars with uh, schedules. We're a partner of the Boston Celtics here, and we're able to use that intellectual property as, as part of our promotional tools and create, you know, here's the Celtics calendar for the year and build like a poster. And most restaurants are kind of trying to wiggle that on their own. We can actually lean on suppliers like us to do a lot of those things. And then there is other support that goes above and beyond um, that people never think about. And I wish they'd ask more communication being the biggest one. I am building an asset class of material for my brand daily. If you're short on Instagram or Facebook material and you want to tell people what's going on, I have a whole folder with photography of people enjoying uh, beer and all of this. Uh, we have a newsletter. We have an audience to share things with. We can go a step further. We can host events together. Our staff is out there hosting events probably five, six, seven a week at this rate. And when we do that, you have the opportunity to tap into our brand and audience in another way to drive business. Become the co-host on a Facebook event. Now you're sharing in our audience for the entire event. Uh, we're posting from that event, be a collaborator on that Instagram post. I have 45,000 people in the local market looking at that. I'm probably going to have it in my newsletter that sees another 50,000 people. These are opportunities as we scale up as partners and we do you know, robust business together that I can do these activities, you know, even from day one, you can really jump in and say, how do we support the program and have these conversations? The caution, I know this sounds like great, like ask, ask, ask. Remember, we are on our side, at least craft breweries. Um, we're coming out of a pandemic as well, them kind of battered up. So we're, we're still getting our footing in the same way. So we may not be able to do all of these things, <laughs> but our goal is to be here to help. And I find that is almost the case with all of the suppliers on this side. Pop Menu has reimagined the restaurant. They're breaking the mold of the menu, taking the kitchen doors off the hinges, and serving up their most comprehensive technology solution yet, Pop Menu Max. Comes with the previous ingredients you've heard me mention on the podcast, websites designed with SEO, marketing tools to keep you top of mind with guests, and of course, the patented interactive menu technology. This new recipe brings automated phone answering to the table, brings third-party online order aggregation, waitlisting, and more. Pop Menu's phone answering technology, for example, you heard it here uh, demoed on this show just a few weeks ago. That technology has your ringing phones covered, right? With the computer, it's artificial intelligence. The simple questions that usually keep your phone uh, tied up can now be handled by the computer without pulling a staff member away from your in-person hospitality. So no more missed calls, missed reservations, no more wasted time where people are asking for your hours. No more orders or missed revenue. That's just the beginning. You have a passion for food. Pop Menu has a passion for technology. Together, it's a recipe for restaurant success. Now, even more digital ingredients are in their technology pantry, and Pop Menu is helping restaurants attract, engage, remarket, and transact with their guests on a whole new level. Trust me, if you're a restaurant owner, you need Pop Menu to take your business to the next level. For a limited time only, get $100 off your first month, plus you lock in one unchanging monthly rate. Go to popmenu.com slash restaurant strategy to claim this offer. Again, that's $100 off your first month by visiting popmenu.com slash restaurant strategy. That link is in the show notes. To your point that there is support to be had there and that we can, um, that there's a certain amount of that that's earmarked to go back in for marketing the product, for reaching new audiences and all of that, and to get the things that you need. Glassware, coasters, uh, I've seen uh, certain people do wine books, mm -hmm. you know, wine lists, things like that, that these are all uh, available. And to run events together, um, you know, that there are promotional materials available, that there are uh, great 
discounts available for things. I just had somebody run a, you know, a champagne and oyster event. And so they found a champagne sponsor, somebody that we're going to be the exclusive. They get a really great deal on cases of the champagne. Say, hey, listen, we're going to do a champagne thing. Uh, we'll be an exclusive, you know, we'll have you on as an exclusive. There are all kinds of that's thing, those things that are available if they just, uh, if you just ask. Um, and it really starts with that relationship that, that I found. True, true or false? True, 100% true. So now we've been talking about the operation stuff and now we can't help but we sort of like dribble into the the marketing side of things uh, because there is a there is a connection right there's a there's collaboration required on both sides um, we are trying to uh, improve the bottom line that's what operations is about mm -hmm. uh, marketing helps us serve that so talk to me now I'm gonna I'm gonna bounce to the other side because we said there is operations and marketing talk to me about the ways that beverage can really help enhance your marketing can can feed into the marketing yeah this goes a few ways if we go back to the original point of uh you know i think you've said a bunch of times people jump right to social media marketing is above that it's it's your concept it's who you're serving it's what do you have for who what problem are you solving that goes to beverage as well so if you're solving a unique problem it gives you something to talk about uh we'll give a few examples you know you could be a flare cocktail bar and imagery experience around that and bringing in uh, people from distilleries to contribute to those events, content promotion, and bring your, your flair to the widest audience possible that would be interested, fantastic. If you are a sports bar, there's something for you in that we could do promotional events during game watches with little giveaways. You could probably design a program around uh, bucket tastings and get more engagement around a whole group of people drinking a variety during game watches, things that are more in line with that type of activity. Then you get to the level where you sit down and have that relationship. You're going to host an event, could be a tasting, could be a pairing, could be something unique. And you get to utilize two audiences as we were kind of already crossing over to the marketing side because I can't help it. You get to use two audiences yeah, for sure. rather than one. So if you sit there and you're fighting this battle by yourself, how do I get people in here? How do I get people in here? How do I tell people about my events? But then you tap in a, a brewery partner like me, a distillery partner, a winery, we're inclined to share the same thing. It benefits both of us. So me being able to talk about a really cool chef dinner pairing beer event at a great restaurant in the city of Austin, that's just as strong for my brand as it is for this restaurant. And we get to share that together, talk to a larger audience of potential interested people and get them into the business. You know, a little bit more technical, it, it crosses back a little bit towards operation, but the education and upselling part, we're physically here in this market, we can come in and educate your entire staff in a pre-shift. Our, our sales reps are, are trained to do that. And it helps them understand, again, that core product. What am I offering to who? So when they understand the, the restaurant mission and how everything on their tap line or in their bar services that, they're gonna be better stewards to your customers, which is going to help move more product, get that second beverage sale, get that five-star review. Hey, you know, I ordered, I ordered this IPA. It was great. The waiter came back and said, you liked that? You should try this yeah, because they yeah. know what they're talking about. So there are a couple of things you brought up that I want to dig into a little bit more. There are a couple of... Um there are a couple of landmines in what you just said. And so I want to, I want to go back and I'm going to work uh -oh. backwards <laughs> because, um, and I'll, and I'll explain and I'll explain why as we go along. So you said, you know, utilizing the reps to come in and give education for the staff. Here's my big issue with that. When that's the only education that is going on within the four walls, that's problematic. And yes, it should be a compliment to an already, let's say robust, you define robust, however you define it. Um, but when, and I've worked with clients who do this, and they say, I said, what are we doing for continuing education? Oh, we're, we're pulling on our reps. So they have four reps in a week talking about this gin, this whiskey, this you know mm -hmm. beer, this. And I said, that's fine, but we're just teaching them about individual products. We're not talking to them, hey, what's the difference between a porter and a stout or a lager and an ale? Let's talk about top fermented and bo bottom fermented and why does that matter? They don't know. So the guy from Jack's Abbey is coming in to talk about their lager and how their lager is better than other lagers or different or the, you know, this utilizing this deep tradition or, or 
But the guy's going, I don't. You turn around, and you say, so "What's the difference between a lager and an ale?" They can't tell you. So that's one of my frustrations here. That I think it's an incredible resource, um, and I've certainly been, uh, I've certainly utilized that over the years and all the years that I've opened and run restaurants. It's problematic when it's the only piece of education, um, and we just think, "Oh, that, that's enough." They'll come in, and all of this guy talk about this uh, this spirit, and this gal come talk about this wine, and you know, uh, Rob's going to come in and talk about uh, you know, craft locker, and that's going to be good. Our our people are going to be great. Um, I just I find that there's a failing there. So that that's the one thing that it is a great resource. They should take advantage of it, but it should be uh, to complement an already existing education program, however we define that, um, that goes beyond just the five days of training you put a, a bartender through, for example. Absolutely. Nodding the whole way through. <laughs> yeah, great. So that's that's my one little landmine, right? Like that's a, that's a problem and it's worth noting here on the air so the audience can hear that. Here's the other landmine I sort of was aware of as you were talking just before that. And you were talking about events, which I totally agree. I love the idea of events. I do them a lot. Uh, back when I was doing marketing for restaurants, that I did a lot of it. I think it's great. The problem is when all we do is events, so all we market is events, that it gets away from... Uh, I don't know, you call it like the core competency, like like what this place is, why this exists, who the core audience is for, what experience, what problem we solve. The events exist to say, hey, you came here and I know you love it. If you want a different way to experience us, well, then make sure to come back next Tuesday because we're doing this. It gives somebody an excuse to come back and to come back quickly. That's the beauty of events. But what I find is that when we do this full roster of events, we're doing them like this Monday, next Tuesday, Wednesday, the following Saturday, the first Monday and whatever. And we spend all of our equity, all of our social media feeds are promoting these events. Every ad on Facebook is trying to is trying to promote these events. Our website pop up is this and we've got a landing page for the it's like and it's all about the events and we sort of lose sight of what are we all about? Why do we exist? Who are we for? Why should they why should they care about what we're doing? Um, you're nodding your head, but so, so that's my landmine that I want everyone to be aware of. There, um, your thoughts. Let me let me try to walk through this uh, this minefield with you. Um, agree, yes. <laughs> agree a thousand percent on both of those. Our our staff should be supplemental. Uh, yeah, we we do have a more elevated education program that teaches beer, and then but not everybody does. Um, like, like you said, someone's coming in to tell you about their little slice. So that day, that's all your staff is thinking about. Uh, it yeah, does minimize. Right. You need to start with, as a leader, who are you about? What are you about? Who are you servicing? And these are all tools to service that guest. And we can provide some info on those tools, but we can't speak to the company mission. So that is on you. We can supplement that 100%. Uh, when we come to events, uh, now I can lean on the experience of marketing an actual space as well as being a, a supplier. We've been very cautious yeah. about this. We map out the volume of posts we want to go to what, because the first thing we want to communicate to our fans and guests is who we are and what we are about. And to do that, we can't inundate with just product releases, just uh, events that we're hosting. That becomes a little bit... Uh, problematic in terms of people understanding who you are and what you're about because it starts to feel very scattered and we've gone to the point even recently as we keep refining our, our social media and communication strategies that we're not even using all channels to promote all things so we're starting to do like media yeah. segmentation uh, our our tiktok hasn't launched yet we tested a few things and we're prepping for what we want to do there that's the lens on our corporate culture. Um, we are only turning that camera back on ourselves to talk and share a little bit of who we are and why we matter as a family-owned independent business. 100%. Not a single event or beer release is ever going to hit that channel. Come over to Facebook. It's going to be a little bit more event-heavy. That audience likes to engage that way. There is an event section for it. And then uh, Instagram is going to land somewhere in between for us. Events are going to be highlighted as brand building events. There's certain ones with some of our uh, you know, German tradition. Oktoberfest is obviously a huge time of the year for us. So that crosses over brand building of who we are and an event. 
so that elevates itself to hitting my Instagram feed, but I don't share Tuesday beer special <laughs> photo with, you know, $5 pint that, yeah. that just takes yeah. away from who we are. People start to see that over time. Like, Oh, they're about cheap beer sometimes, or they're about this or that. And I lose the concise message. And the number one thing about, you know, being a good marketer is boiling that message down as clearly as possible. Cause once it comes out of your mouth, it starts to erode down the chain. Yeah. I, I love this. I think, you know, it's funny. I was talking to a client the other day and they said, Hey, we're thinking about, uh, you know, getting on TikTok, Um, but we want to know what you thought of that. And it was sort of like, I was like, Oh, I don't even know where to, I don't know where, even know where to begin. And I said, uh, it was great. I love the platform. Um, are you guys on the platform? And all three of them looked at me and they were like, no. And I said, okay, before you do anything, you got to get on the platform for, let's say, 30 days and tell me what you like about the platform. And I need you to follow at least 50 brands, not even hospitality brands. Um, The things Mm -hmm. I learned from most, right, my two favorite TikTok, like corporate, like company TikTok feeds are Scrub Daddy and Annie Ann's Pretzels because they, they do what you do really, what you just described really well. They said, hey, Scrub Daddy's gonna, Scrub Daddy TikTok is gonna be a very specific thing. It's kitschy, it's funny, it's all these like little sketches with this oversized um, scrub daddy as if he was an employee who works there, as if he was like (laughs) chairman of the board, sort of like walking through the office, doing whatever the hell he wants. Like he's sort of mischievous, like he's got a character, like, and they sort of put down other sponges every day. Like, and they, and it's awesome. Like what they do there, and when you talk about like brand equity and, and sort of like brand recall, like there's more they do for lodging themselves in the in the consciousness mm-hmm. of their of their users um, than you could do. Same thing with Annie Ann's. They sort of have a very specific thing and and it's a send up of their brand and also a celebration of their brand. And yet there is no selling per se. Like there's nothing to buy. It's it's just sheer entertainment. And anyway, there are two brands that, that I think just knock it out of the park on the platform because they're not just trying to do what they do on Facebook, but on TikTok. They're not just doing what they do on Instagram on TikTok. They're using it mm-hmm. in, a, in a whole different way. So um great examples yeah like understanding understanding what you what you want to accomplish so to go back to this again having the events be a supplement or a complement for what you're already doing i think is the best way to use them and hopefully they help fortify your mission your message your who you are more than you know you use it as an opportunity to really hammer home hammer home those points i just i get afraid when that's all we do and then suddenly the liquor reps are coming in and being like hey we we uh, we, we're gonna do a new whiskey dinner we've got the next three whiskey dinners lined up because it's their portfolio of clients and it's like no like this is now the now the rep is no this is not what we this is not what we're about so cautionary tale for sure. So talk to me then. So, but now, now, okay. So then we're back. So we disarmed the landmine for the, uh, <laughs> staff education, right? It's going to be a compliment. It's going to be a supplement. We're going to offer other things so that when people come in, so I know all about lager, I know all about beer. So then tell me what makes this beer special. That's when that message is really well received. Mm-hmm. Yes, so perfect. As listeners, we've avoided that landmine. Um, the events, right? We're not going to do all events because then we become a place where we're just promoting all of the events. And also, P.S., events take resources. They take uh, manpower yes. to plan, to execute, to, you know, the, the ordering, you know, putting together a new menu and ordering decorations and making sure everybody, you know, it's a lot of effort um, to get any one of those events off, even if it's just a hey, a three-course prefix for 25 people on a Monday night. It just takes energy um, to do it in a lot of mm-hmm. coordination. Um, it's fine if you want to do it, but you know, understanding what the goals are um, tethered to that. But then let's go back to this core thing. And like you said, you've got, you run, you run a, a property, you run a, a food and beverage, you run food service there at the brewery. So you talked a little bit about how you promote those things. And obviously beverage is, very closely aligned to what you are all about there. People are coming because you're a brewery. They're coming to taste all the different stuff and et cetera, et cetera. 
Talk to me about how maybe maybe there are examples. Who does this really well? Um, either specific examples or the kind of places out there, other restaurants that use beverage to their advantage to help define who they are and the kind of experiences they provide and 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 a, and a reason to come uh, to come enjoy the restaurant. Sure, I as a category, I think uh, tapas restaurants do a phenomenal job, at least in in my region. Uh, there's a lot of chain ones, local ones. Uh, they are typically more about wine than beer. So that's why it's a good example. I'm not being biased here. You can trust this one. Um, but yeah. <laughs> um, but really, I, I, I like going to a, a, a tapas restaurant for this reason. And one of the, the, the chains that hits my market is Barcelona. And they're the only ones I've ever seen do a flight of wine, for instance. Uh, flights of beer become very popular. They're also more profitable uh, per ounce because you're actually getting more dollars per ounce on these pours, which is super useful to the the producers out there and everybody else where we're able to say, you know, if you get it in the flight, you're going to be charged $12 where an 80 ounce glass would have been eight or nine. So being able to increase the dollars right. per ounce in a program like that, but they don't stop there. The, the pairings are built in. You're getting these little bites and then a flight. How encouraging is it to buy three tapas and a flight of wine where you might have stopped at two in a glass and yep, being yep. able to do that type of maneuvering that brings your program to life in a meaningful way for you is is really key in my opinion because it speaks directly to the audience on the other side on um, you know there's you're, you're down in new york city right or just you live outside, but yeah. yeah. So, yeah. I mean, the I live just outside now, but yeah, the cocktail scene was getting great going into the pandemic. People went home, studied up, and I feel like everywhere I go, the cocktail scene is really, really elevated uh, here in Boston. At least I've been down to New York a couple of times since, and I see a lot of the same thing where people have gotten to the quality of their beverage program, and it's not just. Uh, not all for show, not all the same types of cocktails, but being able to talk about flavors of the season, you know, farm to table restaurant that's fr picking fresh basil and elevating that in a hot cocktail bar. That is just right on point for the, the type of programs that I think merge these two things. Well, if you're looking at our program, it, you know, we have a very, very simple kitchen. We pulled it down to things we knew we could execute well that matched with our food. And then we did the best version of it. So we got copper pizza oven in our place from Italy to wood fire pizzas. The dough is made specially in-house using yeast from our beer uh, to create like our own unique pizza. And the idea is that when that pizza is enjoyed in our place with that food, uh, with that beer, it's a perfect experience for the guest. And then on the marketing side, that's what we try to communicate. So you can imagine if you turn this into photography, a carousel post on Instagram, you sort of see that like awesome shot of pizza and beer together. You swipe over and people are enjoying it. And then you kind of zoom back as you go through the photos and pick up the environment and you can get a feel very quickly for what we're about. And we're not about sushi. We're not about tacos. We're not about burgers. We've got great wings, great pizza, beer, made fresh here and this is what it feels like to be here you know it's so funny you talked about these these flights right flights of beers have been a big thing yes for a while um i was in a, a restaurant i worked in a restaurant uh, God, almost 20 years ago now and we used to do a flight of like dessert wines so a flight of madeira a flight of saturn right because saturn famously uh can last forever and ever and ever and ever madeira can last forever yep. but it takes on different um qualities when it's 10 years old versus 30 years old versus 80 years old and we would uh we would do stuff like that and that's where i was really introduced to it but yeah you're right like flights of wine and and all of that i've got a client who does now a flight a mimosa flight which is like a which is genius <laughs> it is <laughs> which genius. is genius like <laughs> Like four different things. And now they did, so they started extending it to the sister restaurant to uh, a margarita flight. So, and now they do, and now they started doing a premium margarita flight. So it's basically like the same thing, but you want with high-end uh, spirits. And you know what? Just by offering the options there, they get it. Now their margarita flight is the number one best-selling beverage on the menu. And they're laughing all the way to the bank. 
the cool part about it is they're making more money. They're making a bigger margin. Mm -hmm. And the people, the guests are having more fun. Yes. So now, and one of the things that I'm always pushing them to do is, uh, is to think about, I always talk about evangelism. How do you get people to, how do you spark word of mouth? How do you get people to talk about you? Meaning, what are they gonna talk about? Like mm -hmm. they're gonna talk about you or not, right? Hopefully they're gonna talk about you and hopefully they're saying something good. You gotta give them something like really easy they can remember like, oh, hey, where'd you guys go for dinner last night? Oh, we went to this place. Oh, you'll Margaret never believe flight. it. They do this <laughs> and they just gotta tell you something. Oh, you'll never, you'll never believe it. They do this. And I think every mm -hmm. restaurant needs one of those. I think beverage offers such a key opportunity um, to do this. The, mm -hmm. the flights are a, are a perfect example, but I was at a restaurant a couple of years ago and we started doing a signature like barrel-aged um, Negroni, oh, wow. except it was a barrel-aged Negroni for two. You couldn't get it for one mm -hmm. because they all came in this little barrel and then we put them in a big decanter and it was sort of like a table side show. So we'd bring the table, you know, we'd pour the thing in, we did a dash of orange bitters, we we sort of torched the orange twist. There was there was a show, there was an experiential mm -hmm. component to it. So where the cocktail was 13 bucks, two of them were 26 bucks, we charged $31, $5 for experience, and people were only too happy to do it because it was like something you couldn't get anywhere else. It was for just sure. it was an opportunity to like show who we are and and to provide something meaningful and unique during that experience. Yeah, and Chip, that's your instant evangelism. Who's not whipping out their cell phone right then and snapping that shot while you're torching the orange? Like, hold on, hold on, let me get that. Oh. And then it's on Instagram that minute. These people are having a great time. Even if they forget to recommend you later, they've already shared that moment immediately. <laughs> A hundred percent. I did this. Uh, I went to, so in March, I was speaking at the Bar and Restaurant Expo out in Las Vegas. And it was my first time in Las Vegas ever, which is like sort of bizarre. <laughs> um, but I went to uh, Jose Andres restaurant out there, Bizarre Meat, and they did uh, basically a riff on an aviation. And I don't know how they did it, but there's some liquid they poured in at the end that basically had a little cloud that went with it. And so there's this little cloud. It looks like a tiny little rain cloud that hovers over the liquid in the glass. And it sort of changes shape and all this. And literally, as she was ready to pour it, she, the bartender said to me, she was like, you might want to grab your phone. Everyone always takes pictures of this. It's really cool. Smart. And I was literally, I didn't order it because it was famous or because there was an experiential component. I was like, oh my God, this is everything I want. Like she told mm -hmm. me to get out my phone and I took a picture of it. And sure enough, she pours this liquid in and a little cloud, like a little bit of cloud follows <laughs> the liquid down into the glass and hovers there for about, I don't know, two minutes. And it sort of changes shape and then it sort of dissipates in the air and then you enjoy your, and then you enjoy your cocktail. But like, you better believe I took a picture of that mm -hmm. because it was something unique. I never saw a cocktail. Like I very rarely see people do an aviation well, which is why I ordered it. Um, I like the cocktail, but I certainly never saw anybody do this level of thing. And I was like, and I was there alone at the bar and I was just looking all over, <laughs> all, all around. I was like, Is anyone any of my this? friends, <laughs> if any of my friends or clients or, or family had seen this happen, they were like, oh my God, you just made Chip's day. This is literally <laughs> all he talks about every single day. Um, and it was true. I was like, this is awesome. awesome. It couldn't have happened to a better uh, a better customer. I was the perfect <laughs> consumer of that content. That is great. But it's true, right? It get you get people to um, to do this, and then it becomes, um, and then it becomes synonymous. Like this is what we do, right? Um, Seth Godin always talks about <laughs> the most important seven words in marketing, right? Uh, because marketing is all about behavior, which is really all about culture. And he says people like us do things like this, mm -hmm. right? Like. People who go to this restaurant order food and get the flight of beer. People like us, you know, always get a glass of wine before, you know, before dinner. Always get a glass of champagne before they order their bottle of wine. People like us always get a cocktail before we have wine. It, it, and if you start building it into the behavior and you start grooming the behavior through training, you train your servers to do that. It ends up being such a such a great way to increase the check average um, and a great way to sort of groom your your customers for to help them understand the way that they're supposed to engage with the brand. Yeah, it couldn't nail it anymore. And you've talked about that example. You know, I shared an example the 
You've got the table side service. Obviously, table side guac became a thing for a similar reason. And then sure. uh, I, I've heard you talk about the the bacon flight in this program, and I I experienced that maybe eight right. nine years ago in in Minneapolis, and I was by a similar story you're sharing now by myself. Like, does anyone else see there's a bacon flight in front of me and taking pictures and sending it off to people? What it all comes back to is what is that thing that that you could stand out on, and if you create it. You know, people are going to share it. So you have that opportunity to train the staff to say, it's pretty cool. Like, give them permission to take pictures and let them know something cool is coming and uh, be thoughtful about how it's presented. Don't drop things on a table. You know, go create or talk to suppliers about the type of paddle or service where I've seen it's our, our number two seller, believe it or not, is the flight, even at our brewery, um, which is, yeah. it's, it's, two through four week after week after week after week and uh this is we have a lot of regulars so even in our place people want to try variety and you know making sure that glassware is lined up properly logos are done well things are clean you create that environment for people in that shareable moment right in the spot they're going to do a little bit of that marketing for you but it's also that's what people go out for. They could sit at home and drink six beers. They could sit at home and tap yep. some bottles of wine. They're coming out to have an experience they can't have at home to do it with other people. Quite honestly, in a lot of cases, to tell other people that didn't go what they got to experience. It's exactly right. It's so true. No, I, I love that you said this because I've said some version of this. and You just articulated it really beautifully that like we can eat cheaper just about anywhere else. We can go to the supermarket, we can we can make food first. We can we can eat for cheaper. But we don't go out to a restaurant to eat. It, I always mm -hmm. say it's the pretense, right? Mm -hmm. I'm hungry, so let's go eat. But we, we're going for something more. We're going for uh, connection, right? Because when I host people here for a dinner party, uh, I'm stuck in the kitchen prepping, and then I get to serve everybody, and then I get to clear everything away, clean all the dishes. Like That's crucial time I miss with my guests, right? When I go to a restaurant, somebody else is taking care of all that so I can really focus in on the company mm -hmm. I'm keeping. And 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 I think we lose sight of that. And I and to your point, you, you really just said it, and I want to highlight this again, is that like that is why people are going out. People are going out for something, and we have a responsibility to provide them with that. Like so the flight is cool and it's a high margin thing, but they get to More. taste a bunch of beers that they otherwise wouldn't have. We have a responsibility, I think, to give them those sorts of experiences, for to give them uh, you know, the, the cocktail mm -hmm. with a cloud or the Negroni for two where we spark the you know, the orange zest and the on and on and on. I think we have responsibilities and if we ignore beverage, as I have ignored it for years <laughs> on this show, um, unintentionally, um, <laughs> If we ignore it, we're missing a huge opportunity. Um, I always say that our people are our greatest assets, right? We collect a lot of really smart, passionate, creative people. And as long as you invite them in to help solve the problems, um, they are going to help solve your problems. So I always say, like, so much of it is like just saying to your team, hey, listen, um, I, and I got this from a, uh, from somebody I worked with a couple of years back, and he said, it's almost like Easter eggs. Mm -hmm. Like, we gotta hide 30 Easter eggs in the experience with the understanding no one's gonna trip on all 30 of them, but we want people to at least get like four yes. of them over the course of the meal. So, right, so somebody's gonna order the, the mimosa flight, somebody else is gonna order the Negroni for two, someone's gonna get the bacon flight, someone else is gonna get the Wagyu that's seared on the, you know, on the hot stone, someone else is gonna, if we put enough of those, any one of us will trip upon a, a few of them and that will be something that sparks uh, our conversation. And if we're just leaving it all to food or or uh, service, we're missing uh, we're missing a really big component. I think beverage can really be that, and oftentimes is the easiest way to uh, to execute that sort of thing. I love that, and I I think about it. You're using Easter eggs. I think about it in comparing. You're going to a, a live music show. I love live music, and. I spent a lot of time thinking about why did I like one concert better than another, even if I liked that band better than this band originally. And there's sort of elevations to it, you know, sitting at home, listening to the album. Great. Love it. All of a sudden you're out among people and you have know, kind of boiled down to this community coalescing event. Everybody is experiencing the same thing at the same time. And that could be the people at your table. It could be all of the other people in the bar, restaurant, event space. And when that artist comes on and goes through their album and plays it pretty direct, doesn't interact with the crowd, 
you have a good time. It's fine. <laughs> and then you go to that show where that experience is for you that night is that's how you feel there is more to it they've woven all of these interesting let's say easter eggs through the show that is just for that crowd in that space and that entire group is sharing yep. it together you can't beat it and that you know when you put music uh live music especially in uh, a restaurant space or you do uh, we we do these things at, at our festivals at a particular time um we tap a cask and our owner gets up on the bar and, and yells to everybody and brings everybody into that moment and we take the hammer and we tap the gravity cask and pour beer out of it that second and that is everybody experiencing the same thing at the same point and yeah. it just the keeps leveling up someone's experience in that place where you had a good time better time a memorable time I, I love it. Here's the best part about and I hope uh, everyone out there, the audience listening to this, is that over the course of this now almost an hour we've been chatting, we've probably dropped 20 or 30 different ideas Hopefully. and very few of them came from us, right? This was stuff we saw other people do that we adopted and adapted, right? This is stuff that I just see all the time. And I just talk about because it made an impression on me. Uh, and that's part of my job. Part of my job is to notice things and be aware of. But I hope what resonates here is that that's also your job. And you can take inspiration in a lot of different ways. We talked about Scrub Daddy. Scrub Daddy is inspirational for me. And there's no reason except that I think what they do for their brand, um, I think, is is really, really smart and really fun to be a part of, which... Um, which I can take away and apply in, in other areas. We can take inspiration from a lot of different areas. Um, but when we talk about how we, um, how we market, there, there's, such a, there's such an opportunity, um, and as Rob was saying, and a responsibility uh, as well to do it. Uh, Rob, we, uh, we are coming to the end of our time. Uh, you've been a great sport. I appreciate you taking sure. time out of your day. Um, we're going to include any links you want. Where should we send people to learn more about uh, about certainly Jack's Abbey, anything else you, you're up to? Sure. Uh, you know, my, we have Instagram, of course, uh, Jack's Abbey. Me personally, I'm the Rob J. Day. So I share a lot of, of beer stuff there. I think my LinkedIn is uh, really accessible to people for conversation of this nature. So feel free to add me there. We'll put that link in and, and add me, send a message. I I try to be as generous at my time as possible. We're, we're all very busy, but I, I get as much out of these conversations as as I give, I believe, and hopefully I, I give enough that it's worth it for the other side as well. Yeah. Before we uh, before I let you go, I need to know. So, what makes Jack's Abbey? What makes the the beers so special or different than anything else out there? Really, uh, it's about perfecting a craft that's incredibly difficult. It lagers are really hard to make, and they do not hide any mistakes versus, as you talked a little bit about lagers versus ales earlier, this category is incredibly difficult. That's why Germans have been doing it exclusively for hundreds of years. Uh, changing a degree over a week in fermentation changes the flavor of the beer. So I'm not exaggerating when I say there's infinite permutations to make this style of beer and honing in and perfecting it takes time and dedication. And it's all we've done for 11 years. And we are not done learning. We have a lot more to go. But having that jump where we're not spreading ourselves so thin and we are honing in on one particular thing and trying to do it the best we possibly can, I think that makes our beer pretty special. Love it. Perfect. Uh, all right. Last words of wisdom for an audience full of uh, independent operators. So small to midsize uh, independent operators spread all across, not over the country, uh, but all over the world, really. Uh, any, any words of wisdom to leave them with? great you've you've all come through a lot you all work hard you're all doing something pretty remarkable uh don't lose sight of that and this should be the fun stuff bringing beverage programs to life you heard you know the excitement we kind of just got into uh giving yeah, some of these yeah. examples give yourself the time to think of new ways to keep being remarkable and then do it that i that is such a great point to leave on right 
it doesn't just happen by accident. You have to leave space in your week, in your day. And I know that's easier said than done, but we always say it, right? And it's mm -hmm. a cliche. You got to find the time to work on your business so you're not just stuck working in your business. Even if that's just yeah. half an hour a week or an hour a week, two half an hour chunks, just say, hey, this is my time to sit down. And if you got to do that with somebody else, do that with somebody else. If that's alone time, if that's just time to sit and sketch and come up with ideas, frame it as a, as a problem. Hey, how do I do this? <laughs> Hey, how do I get more people to take pictures? If you pictures? have to do it over a beer, do it over do, a beer. It's, just make it, it, it should be fun because creativity is fun. Creativity is just about problem solving, right? Like, hey, how do I get more people yes. in here? How do I get more people taking pictures of my stuff? How do I get more people talking about my beverage? Like, it begins with a question and then you say, well, I could do this, mm -hmm. well, I could do this. And I'm king of saying, it's all just a thought experiment. Thoughts are free. And so you just wander down an avenue like, hey, well, what if we did this? What if we did that? That's how we got to that place where we did the Negroni for two served in mm -hmm. a wine decanter, in a U-shaped wine decanter, right? And we and we sort of rocked it back and forth as we mixed all the ingredients <laughs> there with the, the bitters at the last minute. You know, like that didn't just, hey, this is what we should do. It came right. to us over the course of a long conversation and sort of brainstorming and giving ourselves sort of the freedom to think big and to think outside the box. Love it. Yeah, listen, Rob, I appreciate you taking the time. I uh, appreciate all your uh, your insights and wisdom. Thank you for being here. Uh, enjoy the rest of your day. Great, you too, Chip. Thank you. Thank you. Once again, I want to thank Rob for taking time out of his day to sit and chat with me. As always, the links are all in the show notes. And a reminder that this week we're moving to two episodes, two new episodes this week, an interview today. And then on Thursday, we've got the monologue still format. On, on Thursday, we're going to be celebrating our 200th episode. I'm talking to you about everything that I believe about running a profitable restaurant. I hope you come check us out on that second weekly episode. Thanks very much for being here, guys, and I will see you then. Thank you.